bring you greetings from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make every crooked path straight. Prepare for the kingdom of God is at hand. In tonight's broadcast, we shall be discussing the last of the foundational doctrines of the Christian faith. That is the doctrine of or the teaching about eternal judgment. Before we move any further, let's read two passages of scripture. The first one is the theme of scripture, which is Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. That's basically what we've been looking at. We want to move away from these foundational things and then move on to perfection, to maturity in our Christian work. But we cannot move on to perfection until we have resolved these foundational things. And they are quite foundational. They are quite serious things. Like we saw repentance from dead works, faith toward God, the doctrine of baptisms, the doctrine of the laying on of hands, the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead, which we just concluded, and now the doctrine of eternal judgment. Let's go to Matthew chapter 25. And I read from verse 31 to the end, that's 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, and feed you, or thirsty, and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger, and take you in, or naked, and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick, or in prison, and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry? or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you. Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Eternal judgment is closely linked with the resurrection of the dead. Indeed, after resurrection, the next stage is judgment. We are going to talk more on this, but eternal judgment is linked directly to resurrection. Eternal judgment is God's binding judgment, God's binding pronouncement, God's binding declaration on an individual forever. Whatever is declared by God at that time applies to that individual forever, for all of eternity. That is why we call it eternal judgment. It's not one year. It's not 10 years, it's not a thousand years, it's not 10,000 years, it's not a million years, it's forever. And this is very important because when we look at our time here on the earth, the Bible says it is but for a moment when you compare it to what eternity is. 
Eternal judgment is certain. It is not a myth. There's a certainty about it. In Romans chapter 2 verse 16, the Bible says, In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. The Bible makes it clear that God is going to judge by Jesus Christ. So it's not a myth. It's in the scriptures. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1, again, the Bible says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. So there's judgment after the resurrection. And it is not a myth. It's a reality. It's a certainty. And it's definitely going to happen. Eternal judgment is not the kind of judgment in which you will have a lawyer to argue your case. No, this is not the kind of case where you come and you say, oh, I want to defend myself. This is a situation in which you are already condemned. For those who are going for eternal punishment, they're already condemned. You can see from the scripture that we read in Matthew chapter 25. The Lord said he will divide them. He will separate them. The sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left hand. Goats represent the stubborn people. The people who would not listen. Sheep are generally speaking obedient. And so it represents those people who are obedient to the command of the Lord. Before they started anything, he had separated them. So by the time he was Speaking to the sheep on the right, he was giving them rewards. By the time he was speaking to the goats on the left, he was telling them their sentence of punishment. So it's not like you will go there with a lawyer and you'll try and argue your case and you'll try and defend. No, the matter has already been settled and the evidence of guilt is known even to the defendant. You will know because it's not like here where you can lie and whatever. In the spirit realm, it is so clear. It's glaring. Let me read something to us. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, the Bible says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, that is from the sight of God, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So it's not as if you are going there to defend yourself. No, later you will see. This is a place where you are just going to hear your sentence. For those who are going for eternal punishment and for the other group of people, they are going to hear what they are going to get as a reward. As the Lord Jesus Christ told us in Matthew chapter 25, there will be no room for I'm sorry at the time of this judgment. That's why you keep hearing the Lord saying that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth at that time. There will be a lot of regret. There will be a lot of had I known because it will be too late to say I'm sorry. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27, it says, and it is appointed to men to die once, but after this, the judgment. After the death of man, the next thing is judgment. At that point in time, there is no room for, I am sorry. All the I am sorry you need to do is now that you have the breath of life in you. All the things that God wants you to do, it is now that you have the breath of life in you that you can do it. To be born again is now that you are breathing. Once the person shuts his eyes in death, you can no longer say, I want to be born again. It is too late at that point in time. So eternal judgment does not give room for you to be saying, I am sorry. It will be too late at that point in time. Eternal judgment is the type of judgment in which people appear to hear God's verdict. All that you have done is known to you, is known to your maker, is known to all. It will be clear, it will be glaring. The Bible says there is no partiality with God. He is not a respecter of persons. Whether you are a president, a head of state, a governor, a slave or a servant, God has not the respect of persons. Anybody who did what God said they should do on the earth will receive 
God's accolade. Anybody who does differently, regardless of how high or how low that person is, the person will receive due judgment from God. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 to 15, the Bible speaks of eternal judgment. I think we discussed a little bit of it when we're talking about resurrection of the dead. Revelation 20, 11 to 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and we're coming back to this, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Why were they fleeing from God? Because they had come to meet the judge. They knew what the sentence would be. Everybody was avoiding his gaze because nobody wanted to go through the sentence that God was going to give. But there's no hiding place at that point in time. In verse 12, it says, And I saw the dead, small and great, whether you're a slave, the Secretary General of the United Nations, the President of the United States of America, or the Prime Minister of Great Britain, it doesn't matter, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. I said I was going to explain this. Let me do it now, even though we're going to look at it later in some depth. Everything you are doing right now, if you are not a Christian, is recorded in books. For each one of us who is not yet born again, all our activities are recorded in volumes and volumes and volumes of books. From the day you were born till the day you die. However, when a person surrenders his life to Jesus Christ, repenting of his sins, recognizing that Christ came to pay the price for his sins and that Christ has died for his sins, in that recognition, the person goes to God and repents of his sins and says, I now want Jesus Christ to come and take over my life and lead and direct me. What happens is those books that had been accumulated for his life are completely wiped away. They are destroyed and his name is now put inside only one book as a name, the book of life. So the volumes of the things that he had done, which are the offenses against God, are now completely wiped out by the blood of Jesus. Those books don't exist anymore. The only thing that he now has in heaven is a name inside the book of life. So those who died without Christ, when they are resurrected after the millennial reign, they will be judged according to their works, which are recorded in the books. Let's continue. Verse 13. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. I told you there's no hiding place. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. I said it in the last week or so. Death is a person. is a demon. Hades, or what we call hell generally, is also a demon. These are demons that are holding the souls of people who died without Christ in captivity until this time. When this time comes, they will be forced to vomit all those souls. The sea that kept the bodies will have to give up those bodies. The bodies that were destroyed through plane crash will gather again and they will be resurrected and the souls and the spirits of those people being kept either by death or Hades will now reunite with those bodies. So death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them and they were judged, each one according to his work. Each one judged according to his work, according to what they did. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. I told you this lake of fire is the proper hell. It's called Gehenna in the Hebrew language. This is the second death. There are two deaths. There's physical one and this one. This is the separation, eternal separation from God. The Bible says in the presence of God there's fullness of joy. At his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. When a person is separated from God, then all he has is sorrow, pain, shame. They are removed from the presence of God forever. Then in verse 15 it says, And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Once your name is not written there, 
fellows cast into a lake of fire. Regardless of who that person is, regardless of what he was on earth, if his name is not found in the book of life, which means he did not repent of sin, he did not accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, did not recognize that Jesus died for his sins, that person, his name is not going to be found in the book of life. This is why we keep preaching. Even though we may be stoned, even though we may be beaten, we continue to preach even to our oppressors that they should surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. Even when they want to behead us, we will plead with them, not that they should not behead us, but that they should surrender their lives to Christ. Because we know these things, that once your name is not written in the book of life, that's it. If you were a criminal of the highest order who has committed several murders, a serial killer, the day you repent of sin, all the records of those deaths are removed and that person's name comes into the book of life. It's a very wonderful thing for those who find salvation, for those who refuse the gift of salvation, the offer of salvation. It's a very terrible thing. After each of the resurrections, that is the resurrection of the believers, which we call the first resurrection, and the resurrection of the unbelievers, which we call the final resurrection, there will be judgment past each one. The first resurrection, that is of believers, will take place just before the tribulation. When the Holy Spirit is leaving the world, he will rapture the church just before that time, the dead in Christ would have been raised to meet with him in the air. And then the church is raptured. After that resurrection, there's going to be a judgment. Then after that judgment has been passed and everything, those people who died in Christ and those who were raptured will again return. Remember I told you that the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be in two phases. There's the one where he comes and is in the air. And those who are going to him will meet him in the air. Then there's the next one, which is part of the second coming, when he comes and steps his feet in Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives and will rule the whole world at that time for a thousand years. Anybody who is alive at that time, even though they do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, will not die for the space of 1,000 years. After the millennial reign, the people on the earth will still have an opportunity to surrender their lives to Christ. But Satan would also be released around that time. And he's still going to deceive the people who enjoyed 1,000 years of peace. When there was no death, there were no wars, no animal killed anybody, nothing. But Satan will still be able to deceive them and they will refuse to accept Jesus Christ. They had the opportunity to taste of 1,000 years of peace. And yet they will still deny the Lord Jesus Christ. After they are now raised, then you now have the second judgment, the second part of eternal judgment. A distinction has to be made. As we have two distinct resurrections, so also are there two distinct judgments. The resurrection of the believer leads to the judgment of believers. The resurrection of the unbelievers leads to the judgment of the unbelievers. The judgment of believers will be a giving of rewards. And even though it's a giving of rewards, there are believers that will still be crying because they will see what they ought to have done that they did not do. They will see when they should have gone a little further in preaching the gospel, but they stopped somewhere. They will see where they sidelined themselves, as it were, in the pursuit of some mundane thing, whereas there was something else that God had in store for them. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 25, and I'll just read two verses there. Verse 34, it says, Then the king will say to those on the right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The kingdom is prepared for them. So they are coming to inherit. They are coming to get rewards. Then in verse 46, it says, And these, talking about the goats, the unbelievers, and these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. 
So the unbelievers are going to go through their own judgment, which is after the millennial reign. That judgment will be one of passing sentence or punishment. It's like saying, which level of hell are we going to put these people? There will be levels in hell. Different levels. Going through different layers of pain and suffering forever. It's important that people understand this thing. It's not a fable. It's the truth. It's put in the Bible for a reason. So there are going to be two separate judgments. The judgment of believers and the judgment of unbelievers. The judgment of believers is a giving out of rewards, a handing out of rewards. Well done, my good and faithful servant. This is what you will get. Then for the unbelievers, those who died without Christ, it is a passing of sentence of punishment that is due them. Number one, because they refuse to accept Christ. And secondly, because in not accepting Christ, of course, they violated all the laws of God. Indeed, when you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He gives you the wherewithal to obey Him, to obey the commands of God. It is not possible for a man who has not submitted his life to God through the Lord Jesus Christ to be able to do the will of God. You can't. It's not possible. So you need to be born again to receive the grace by the Spirit of God to be able to serve God acceptably. Eternal judgment will not take place on the earth, but in heaven. I need to make this clear. If a man had killed somebody and had been sentenced to death on the earth and is now executed, he is going to hell if he does not repent. And he is still going to face this judgment of God. So the judgment on the earth is different from the judgment in heaven. The fact that you were judged guilty on the earth does not mean that you will escape the judgment in heaven. However, if whilst that man who killed people has been sentenced to death, repents of sin in prison and the sentence of death is carried out on him here on the earth, he will go to heaven and he will be resurrected with other believers and his judgment will be a judgment of rewards. Depending on how much longer he lived, he might actually get rewards. The thief on the cross, when the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified, whom the Lord said, this day you will be with me in paradise. That thief made it to heaven. We will see him at the resurrection of believers. He may not get any reward in terms of when he lived, but you'll be amazed that he would get rewards. Why? The reward system in heaven is a different thing. Because as his story is being told, and as a result of his story being told, souls are being warned. It is accounted to him. When we discuss the issue of rewards, we'll be able to explain that a little further. Some people do not believe that God will send anyone to hell. In fact, I've heard things like, if he's a good God and he's a good God, he cannot in his goodness send anyone to hell. That's an argument. But I'd like to let you understand one thing. That on the earth here, we have human judges. And a good judge must pass appropriate sentence on a crime that is committed by an individual. If he passes appropriate sentence, he is said to be a good judge. He is said to have done justice to the case. If he is a bad judge or a corrupt judge, then he will not apply the proper sentence on that person. So if God is a good God, who he is, then he must apply appropriate sentence. Those who did not do according to his will will be judged appropriately. However, the goodness of God is in ensuring that we don't get to that stage where he will be compelled to apply his judgment. In Romans chapter 2 verse 4, the Bible says, Or do you despise the riches of his, that is God's goodness, forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? 
God desires that we repent. So what does he do? He gives us time. That is his goodness. His goodness is that he gives you time to repent. He keeps extending the time. Sometimes if some people say, Oh, but we'll be hearing that Jesus Christ is coming. Jesus is coming. He, they don't know that he's extending time. In Second Peter chapter 3, let me read from verse 9. He says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants us to repent. And that is why he is delaying. He's given time. Some of us would have died when we were much younger. We know the circumstances that would have taken our lives. Others died. But we were kept alive. Why? God was giving us time so that we can repent and not die in eternity or be separated from him forever. In verse 10, he says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? What should we be doing? Knowing that all these things we're running after, cars, houses, they will be destroyed. Why spend all our energies on that? Why not focus on eternity? In verse 15, he says, Consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. God wants us to be saved. So he extends it. So his goodness is in the extension of time, allowing us to be able to repent. Giving us opportunity to repent. Maybe at the age of 30, you thought life was okay. You didn't repent. 40, you didn't repent. 50, 60, 70. Some people live to be 90 something and they don't repent. What will you say when you stand before God? Some people will not be able to say, but we didn't have time. You had ample time. There was even a time when the desire for sin should have left you. But no, I've seen 80 something year old men. Still running after girls. I don't know what they can do with those girls. Some of them are still stealing money. Still being wicked and evil. And you wonder, at that age, how can you find time for such things? Those people are rubbishing, as it were, the long-suffering, the goodness of God. When they meet with God in eternity, they will not have an excuse. Now, there are two kinds of eternal judgment which I've tried to mention before. And I've talked about the one that has rewards and the one for punishment. Now, they're also called by different names. The first one, the Bible refers to as the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ. This is where believers will appear after the first resurrection and the rapture to be judged by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like a courtroom that will be set up and a lot of things will happen there. Let me read a few scriptures, then we'll discuss one or two things. In Romans chapter 14, verse 10, the Bible says, But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, where the Lord Jesus Christ will sit down himself as judge. For it is written, verse 11, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us shall give account of himself to God at that time. Each believer, we're talking of believers now, they will give an account. You'll be told, what was it that you were told to do? Because you are not going to be judged by what you were not told to. You're going to be judged by what you were told to do. What did they tell you to do? Did you do it? When we discuss eternal rewards, you will see the criteria that will be used. And you'll be shocked at the criteria. It's not just the doing. There are other things. The motive for doing it and so on and so forth. We shall look at that later by the grace of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, again the Bible says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We're all going to appear before that judgment seat of Christ. All believers will appear there. In 1 Corinthians 
chapter 3. I want to read from verse 10 and you will see the application of all that we've been discussing. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So this foundational doctrines of Christ, this is what we are laying now, is that foundation. And then we must now build on Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, will be apparent. For the day will declare, the day of judgment will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. We'll discuss this in some detail. But what he's saying here is that on that day of judgment, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, all our works, don't forget, we don't have books. Our names are just written in the book of life. But each one has works that he has done. All your works, some people's works will be as massive as the Soviet Union or the Soviet Union and the United States of America combined. They are as massive as that and it will be thrown into the fire. Some of those works may just be straw, stubble, hay, wood, things that can easily be burned by fire and be destroyed. And you discover that he lived as a Christian, but he had no works. So it will be as though he entered into heaven by fire because the fire burned everything, leaving him alone. Then there are some people who would have done it might just have been one thing they did that God told them to go and do this. Like he said, give somebody water to drink. Go and visit a prisoner. Go and pray for the sick in the hospital. I'm not talking of a departmental thing that we do in church. I'm talking of an instruction that God gave you. God shows you somebody on the street and say, take money and go and give this man. And the fellow did it. That singular act, when they throw it in fire, it might become the work of gold. And each time gold is passed through fire, it shines brighter and brighter. And we are going to discuss more of this later. We are not judged based on things in the books because our names are written in the book of life. But we are judged based on what we did, the things that we did for God or the things that we were supposed to do for God that we did not do. All of them we put there and the fire will be burning. Whatever the fire leaves becomes the token of our reward. And then people will be given rewards. But there are a lot of people who will be crying because you will see the massive works that was thrown into the fire and you see how tiny it will become. And you start weeping. But eventually, God will come and wipe away all tears. I heard the story of a, a pastor who was preaching in his church and said on that day there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And an old woman who was sitting in front with her, who had lost her teeth was saying in a form of thank God I have no teeth. And the, the pastor said, teeth shall be provided. Because when you die, everything will come back. You will gnash that teeth. Many of us, those of us preaching, those of us who refuse to preach, those of us who come to, sit, to church to sit down in peace, will be weeping because we'll see our losses. That is about the judgment seat of Christ. Then we have the judgment of unbelievers, what is called or generally known as the great white throne judgment. That's the one I read in Revelation chapter 20, where the Bible says the whole earth fled from God. If you find yourself at this judgment, you are going to Gehenna, you are going to hellfire. That's what it means. You should not be there if you are a Christian. You have no business being there if you have repented of your sin and you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. This is the truth. This is not fable. It's not a myth. It's not a hoax. When the people will appear there, the Bible says, they will open books. Each man's work is documented in books. It's like the fellow will be standing and there will be a video, as it were, showing all his activities. 
He will not be able to deny anything. He will see or she will see when preachers told the fellow to surrender their lives to Christ and the fellow will see his or her thoughts at that time. Ah, these people want me to do this. Then I will now miss out on this. Then I will miss out on this. They will see it. So it is not a matter of, I'm sorry, I didn't know. No, it will be late at that point in time. So each person will see that. And after that, sentence is passed. Anybody at the great white throne judgment is going to the fire of hell forever. So let's just take a short while to discuss this matter of hell. In Mark chapter 9, verse 43 to 48, this is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. He said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched. Note that hell's fire is never quenched. And where their worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. So there are worms and there's a fire. The fire doesn't destroy the worms and the fire is not quenched. The worms will be entering into the bodies and eating up the body and the person will be feeling the pain. The fire will be burning, the fellow will be feeling the pain, but his body will not be consumed because he would have been given a body that can withstand that fire. A body that the earthworms will be able to enter and eat and commit havoc, but the body will not disintegrate. Yet they will feel the pain. In verse 45, it says, And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame rather than have two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than have two eyes to be cast into hellfire, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. This is not the kind of place that you want to be. This is not the kind of place that you want somebody, even your enemy, you don't want your enemy to be there. Not for any reason in the world do you want your enemy to be there. The Lord Jesus Christ told the story of Lazarus and the rich man. How Lazarus died and was taken to heaven. And the rich man died and was buried. And how the rich man saw Lazarus afar off and was pleading while Lazarus was in the bosom of Abraham. That Abraham should allow Lazarus to dip his little finger into water and let it drop, touch his tongue that is parched. And Abraham told the man that there is a God between us. Nobody can cross over from your side to our side and from our side to the other side. Once you are there, you are there. There's no promotion or demotion. And besides, even if Lazarus wanted to give you water, he can't. He doesn't have permission to do that. Then the rich man said to Father Abraham, said, please, can you send Lazarus or somebody? Let him return home to my family and beg my brothers not to come to this place. And Abraham told them that they have Moses. Let me use modern term. They have the preachers. They have the evangelists. They have the pastors. Let them hear them. They have the Bible. Let them read it. He says, even if one were to come from the dead, and speak to them. They won't listen. It doesn't matter what they tell them. They will not listen. Let them listen to the word of God. That man saw the torment. And that is not hell proper. It was just the torment of hell. The demon. That's all. And he was complaining. Not to talk of when he gets into the fire of hell itself. In Second Corinthians chapter 5. From verse 11. Paul now writes. He says. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. At that time we will be shocked. That Oh, God is a merciful God, will not apply there. So knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, we beg men, we are pleading with men. Don't go to hell, not for any reason in the world. Surrender your life to Jesus. You are a sinner, repent of your sins. Accept Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. He says we are well known to God. And also trust, are well known in your consciences that we are not deceitful people. We are telling you plainly the truth. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast in our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast. In verse 13, it says, For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. It's for your sake. All we are doing 
is to make sure that you don't go to hell. We may look like madmen. We may sound like madmen. But we don't want you to go to hell. That's why we are sounding like madmen on the behalf of God. In verse 14 it says, For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. Let me read it in the message translation from verse 11. That keeps us vigilant. You can be sure. It's no light thing to know that we'll all one day stand in that place of judgment. That's why we work urgently with everyone we meet to get them ready to face God. That's why you're hearing this message today. That's why we spend time preaching. Even if it seems like nobody's listening, we keep saying it. We document it. We keep it on record. We throw it out there in the internet, which will save it and capture it. Who knows? Maybe somebody will be listening to this 50 years, 100 years from now, if Christ tarries. God alone knows how well we do this. But I hope you realize how much and deeply we care. We're not saying this to make ourselves look good to you. We just thought it would make you feel good, proud even, that we're on your side and not just nice to your face as so many people are. If I acted crazy, I did it for God. If I acted overly serious, I did it for you. Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. Sometimes I act like a madman. Sometimes I act like a very, very serious man. Why am I going through those extremes? Because whatever it's going to take to bring you to Christ, I'm ready to do that. Say Christ's love, the love of Christ has moved me to such extremes. His love has the first and last word in everything we do. Our firm decision is to work from this focus center. One man died for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. In verse 15, he says he included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life, a resurrection life, a far better life than people ever lived on their own. When Christ died, he died for all. He died for you. Even if you have abused him, and he died for you. What are you running away from? Surrender your life to him. You are a sinner. Repent. You know. You don't need anybody to tell you about sin. You are living contrary to God. You know that your conscience speaks to you about that. Why do you want to go to hell? Why do you want to go to a place where the fire is never quenched? Where the worms keep eating? Where you feel the pain for all of eternity? Not for a thousand years, not for ten thousand, not for a million years, not for a billion years, forever. Why would you want to do that? In Acts chapter 2, Peter made an appeal from verse 37. Acts chapter 2 from verse 37. Let me just read a little bit of that. After he had preached, the Bible says, Now, when they heard this, they were caught to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Maybe you are asking that question. So what should I do? Peter said to them, Repent! And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. In verse 46, And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Save yourself. When the Lord Jesus Christ died, he came to save us from sin. He came to save us from the judgment that is to come upon sinners. There is a judgment hanging on sinners. That judgment is sitting down there. John chapter 3. I just read a few portions there. In verse 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, 
unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. You must be born anew. You must be born of the spirit of God. That's what he's saying there. And then he goes on. Let me read from verse 16 to 21. It says, this is Jesus Christ speaking. It says, for God so loved the world. Look at the love of God. That he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him, he gave his son to die. That is what it means. He gave Jesus Christ to come and die on the cross on our behalf. That whoever believes in what Jesus Christ did has been for his own sin should not perish, but have everlasting life. What wonderful gift that God has given. In verse 17, it says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This is why Jesus Christ, he wants to save us. He came to save us from our sins. He came to save us from going to hell. In verse 18, it says, He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. That's the problem. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. This is not about religion. It is not about whether I'm a Muslim or I'm Krishna or I'm Buddhist or even I'm Catholic or Christian. or Pente It has nothing to do with that. This is about God, the son of God and you. Whatever your creed is, if you don't repent in the name of Jesus, you are going to help. If your father is a pastor and you personally don't repent in the name of Jesus, you're going to help. If you have been ordained as a pastor, but you never at any time surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you're going to help. You may have built a church. You may have picked up the Bible to preach. But if you have not surrendered your life to Christ through repentance and received the Holy Spirit into your life, you're going to help. That's the reality. And God does not want that for you. In verse 19, it says, And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. The Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It says, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God, sounds tautologious, but there's, unless there's something that God is trying to press on, it's a gift which is free, and it is free indeed. The free gift of God is eternal life. And God is offering to you today. Come and take it. What must I do? Repent. Tell God, I'm sorry, I'm a sinner. I realize how much I'm a sinner. I now believe that Jesus Christ went to that cross for my sins. Cleanse me from that sin. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. Wipe away those books and put my name in the book of life. So that when I resurrect along with other believers, I also can stand at the judgment seat of Christ to receive my reward. And if I have no reward, at least, even though it's by fire, I would have escaped the true fire of hell. For now, I want to plead with you, please, if you are not yet saved, Go to God in the quietness of your room. Just kneel down and ask him to forgive your sins, to wash you in his blood and to make you whole again. And those of us who say that we are born again, let's rededicate our lives and make sure that we are serving him acceptably to the glory of his name. Father, I just want to thank you for that which we have heard today. I pray, Almighty and everlasting God, that as many as have received this word, that, Father, you lead them to you. Your word says that except you draw a man, they will not come to you. Father, please draw as many as are listening even at this time and are willing to surrender their lives to Jesus. Draw them to yourself and save their souls to the uttermost. Thank you, everlasting Father. In Jesus' name we have prayed. God bless you and goodbye.